I want to redeem the game. That is a game of chance. That is a game of skill. And now, from the Coastal Pinball Research Center in beautiful Victoria, B.C., it's Vancouver Island Pinball. Hello again, friends. It's uh, Dan Betterlick here with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. I'm here in the studio along with Daryl. Uh, and this is episode 26. We've got a number of different items. Uh, just going over stuff that's happening on the island right now. Uh, Dead Beats is uh, locally running uh, both Women's League and uh, uh, occasional uh, mixed events as well. Uh, Mid-Island Pinball is got something going on every weekend uh, up in either Cedar or Shimanus. And uh, the Victoria Pinball Leagues is at Quasars every Wednesday night. Uh, some nights it's single events and other nights it's uh, league play. Crazy times right now, eh, Daryl? We got, uh, what, six new machines out there? Um, we're going to have, uh, we're going to be reviewing a few of them shortly. Uh, not on this episode, but we will be doing that fairly shortly. Uh, but yes, it's, uh, it's a great time to be a pinball collector or player. I can't remember a time, Dan, when so many games came out so fast. Oh, it's just crazy. It's it's uh, absolutely insane. And I'm with you. I mean, I've been playing forever, and I do not remember anything that resembles this. Like, maybe half that number, three, but never six. It, it, it's, it's crazy, but it's great. Um, so, yeah, uh, stay tuned. Uh, episode 27, probably we're going to be doing one game, or at least, or maybe more than one. We'll uh, stay tuned and find out. On this episode, though, what we are going to be talking about is uh, there's a new pinball league in BC. Uh, kind of funny because uh, in an episode a few time a few months ago, we talked about how it was all Vancouver and Vancouver Island, and uh, lo and behold, a couple of days later, I saw a note uh, that came out that said uh, two fellows in uh, Kamloops were starting up a league in uh, at the Alchemy Brewery in Kamloops. Uh, that's Nick and Trent. Uh, so we've got an interview with them. After that, we're going to be heading back to the 80s. So we are doing a game review here. It's just not one of those six. It's uh, a fairly rare game uh, called Gamatron. And we're going to be talking about that with Daryl. And then we're wrapping it up with uh, Joe Cheravino, who uh, most people know from tournaments and different things, but also from Pinball Degenerates. He drops in and uh, we just chat about uh, the Degenerates. We talk about... Uh, Roger Sharp's uh, movie, and uh, just pinball life in general. I can speak. Oh, no. <laughs> well, hello again. It's uh, Dan Bedrick here with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. And uh, today I've got some uh, special guests. Uh, one of the cool things that uh, has happened is uh, we were talking with Rob Muller, who runs uh, British Columbia IFPA, in a previous episode and one of the things i mentioned was hey you know we, it's really great we got the mainland stuff going on and uh you know we've got uh, vancouver island but but that's like all we're seeing for organized pinball in bc and lo and behold a few days later i see this message about this uh, new league starting up in the interior and uh so aside from all that apparently i've got some sort of power i want to say here that i'd like a maserati um, and hopefully that that'll show up after after this happens. But uh, I, I've got uh, uh, Nick and Trent here from uh, Kamloops who have started up the uh, Kamloops Pinball League. Hi guys. Hey Dan. Hey, how's it going? <clears throat> it, it's going well. It, it was just so cool. I guess it's been about three weeks ago that uh, Nick, I saw your post on Facebook and uh, started communicating with you because 
you were talking about setting up a, a public league in uh, in uh, Kamloops, uh, uh, one of our lovely cities in the interior. And why don't we talk a little bit about that? How did the idea come about? And uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background? Well, it all kind of started. Uh, I had just moved to Kamloops in September, and we couldn't find anywhere to play pinball uh, aside from a local place called Fun Factor. Um, you know, a, more of a, a kid environment with lots of ticket noises and pretty distracting. And so, I, you know, I was I was kind of a lost puppy in a sense, wanting pinball machines. Even though I had a few of my own, I didn't have a place I could go have a beer. And uh, lo and behold, we go to Alchemy Brewing one night, and there's one pinball machine, a 70s Pocorino. And I lit up. I got talking to the owner, and, and he started saying how he wanted to bring in some more pinball machines. And I said to him, like, you know, I've got Pinbot and Liberty Bell and a few machines. And he's like, oh, just bring them down. So I started getting excited. Didn't talk to him at all again for about two weeks. I come down two weeks later, and there are now three other machines in the in in Alchemy Brewing, and I'm like, what has happened? I thought I was bringing machines, and then he says that you got to meet this Trent guy. He's got these tables, and they're amazing, and and I was just blown away that now only a block away from my house, I had four pinball machines to play, and uh, one day I wound up catching Trent uh, in in Alchemy, and and we got talking, and and we got talking about bringing people together and doing a league. And uh, and here we are. We've now done three successful nights and we're going towards uh, doing a, a tournament night um, coming up in two weeks. So every Tuesday at Alchemy, we're either doing practice nights or tournament nights. There's prizes to be won and, and good beer to, uh, to drink. That, that's incredible and really good. I mean, it's always good to see a local business, you know, supporting pinball and also getting supported back because you know people are there they're going to eat they're going to drink you know uh it, it, it's a great scenario now trent um so you were the supplier of these pinball machines um yeah that's the, it's funny i never knew nick was going to put some machines in there that's awesome <laughs> we'll get we'll get pinball in there eventually He's got, uh, trent has bride of pinball so eventually we want to see those two wed each other in alchemy oh yeah that'd be great a dark corner picked out in the in the far reaches of the restaurant <laughs> very cool so so a little bit about you trent um how long like how long have you been into pinball what uh what, what's your background oh yeah just a few years uh we have a bidding site here in Kamloops on Facebook and a pinball machine came up and I was like, ah, I'm just going to start bidding on this. And I ended up winning and picked it up and, oh man, I just started playing it and it took me back to the uh, Microsoft office days of playing some uh, Space Cadet. <laughs> I wrote, yeah. Started and, uh, yeah. I, I just started playing and I realized, oh yeah, you hit this light, this target, this lights up and uh, there's more to it than um, just batting the ball around. So, yeah, I just really enjoyed it and escalated from there. I bought an F-14, then a Royal Rumble, and then it just kind of spiraled from there. And I've probably owned about 30 machines in the last few years. I just keep buying them, playing them, selling them, getting a different one because there's not really any pinball to play around where we So, yeah, you mentioned you picked up your first game. Um, you, know, you mentioned you went on to other things, but I'm always, always interested in that first game. So what was that game that you bid on and won? It was a 1977 Argosy. Oh, wild. The uh, old EM, right? Yeah. yeah. It turns out that's actually the last um, EM Williams produced. Oh, I didn't know. I did not know that. I, that's a game I actually beat Steve Bowden on. That oh, was wow. my 
my first of these. Well, no, it's one of those things that's so cool about pinball is, you know, for the tournaments I've been at and all, I'm by no means a great player, but, you know, you can get results against people, especially on older machines, because there's more of a luck factor than there is in, in, in a modern machine. So, so uh, Argosy has a dear part in the, you know, dear piece of my heart to, uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember Steve, who, who's such a great guy. Like, if you've ever met him, he's, he's fabulous. But he's like, ah, oh, you know, damn EMs. And then he took me over to, uh, oh, God, what was it? Uh, Medieval Madness, I think, and just destroyed. <laughs> so so for a brief, you know, minute and a half, I thought, yeah, I'm competitive. And then it was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, it's cool. I, I've got that, and I can say that, you know, I mean, there, there's actually been a handful of, the, of these uh, guys that have won world championships that randomly on games I've played them on, I've been able to beat them. So uh, yeah. so it's one of the coolest parts of our hobby is there's always a chance. You know, you got yeah. a ball, you got a chance. Liberty yeah. Bell was, was my first uh, Williams machine, too. So same kind of, I think it's the same era. Yeah, and it's just the games are just on the cusp of like before they went to multi-ball. So the the drive to get that free ball just becomes an obsession, and you get enough people in a room, and the and the the scores are are turning over, and it's got that cha-ching, cha-ching, and everybody's yep. free ball. <laughs> oh, and it's it's amazing. Like I mean, again, the people that say absolutely, you know, well, EMs are all boring. They're not. Like you no. know, and any game can be boring. There's boring DMDs. I've played tons of them. Um, you know, it, it's easier with the technology of today to keep people's interest and in everything else and the amount of design that goes into a machine. But there's some brilliant EMs that are just a lot of fun. Same with solid states. You know, again, I'm I'm sort of, a, the, you know, a player of the 70s and 80s. Uh, so so for sure, I'm just always happy to hear about older machines. Um, we, we've just been talking to Daryl about one of uh, his well, his first ever machine. Um, you know that uh, residing in Alberta right now that uh, we have to go rescue at some point. Um, anyway, back back to back to what we are talking about. We're talking about Kamloops and we're talking about uh, Alchemy Brewery and uh, and the Kamloops Pinball League. So so you you approached uh, Alchemy uh, Trent. Like how did that uh, how did that even happen? Yeah, a couple of years ago, I just remember looking in an area of the brewery and thinking, man, that would be awesome to have a bunch of pinball machines lined up there and. Yeah, a couple of years later, I walked in there and I saw one pinball machine sitting there. It was Pocorino by um, the Ragman here in town. He had it in there. So talked to a waitress and asked, hey, would they be interested in having more pinballs in here? And so I gave them my contact info. A couple of days later, Al, the owner of Alchemy, came over to my place and saw my machines. And he's like, yeah, we got to get some in here. So yeah, brought them in a couple of days later. And yeah, it's just been great ever since. Um, yeah, Al's a great guy to have some machines in there. They take good care of the machines in there, and uh, the beer's great. So I like going down there and playing some games <laughs> and having some beer. <laughs> it definitely doesn't hurt, and and, yeah. and it's good that it's a win-win, right? You know, it is. Yeah, for for you, it's probably a little easier to control the space because that's one of the things that we always run into problems with in home collections is like. How do I get one more machine in here, right? You know. Yeah. It was kind of an excuse to buy more. Well, no, exactly. I'm pretty limited in in my house. I can fit about five here, which is quite a bit. But um, yeah, it's it's been. I kind of prefer to have them down there now because other people can enjoy them, and I just want more people to get into pinball, so it's accessible for people there. Yeah. Yeah, and about 
about a year ago, um, I had tried to start a pinball league and I had a bunch of people over here. Um, I just started messaging people on pin side and for sale ads. And I had about maybe seven people over and, uh, in the, in the spring, and then we were going to start a fall, fall league, but I just got busy with work and other things. And then the pinball machines in there went down to alchemy and I met Nick and Nick just got me reinvigorated to get a league going again. So Nick's been like the driving factor of getting this league going. So I've been really happy to meet Nick and yeah, just get this league going in the interior. It's been really fun. It, it's great that there's two of you. I mean, your story actually really scarily sort of mirrors what happened when I came out here. I went to Pinside and I found everybody sort of on yep. the South Island that <laughs> that had a pinball machine and I sent mm -hmm. a message. You don't know me, but, yep. you know, and I had about eight people in my basement and it, nothing came of it. It just, uh, you know, it just wasn't a thing. And then we found a yep. public location. Peacock's Billiards, and uh, they actually were in with uh, one of the breweries here that offered them uh, a sort of an advertising, like free advertising, because they sold a lot of their beer. And so they had an artist that did a poster for us that went up on all the poles around town, and uh, and you know that that turns into September of 2018, where where we start stuff off, and uh, you know, and it's blossomed into you know what whatever we have now on the island. I guess we've got about. Well, we got six or seven locations now, and we because we team with the Mid Island guys too, and then you know, three or four leagues running plus a bunch of tournaments, and and it all comes from just a ball rolling. And now I've got you know multiple people helping out. We've got officials, we've got multiple tournament directors, and different things, and and it is it's it's a lot for one person to do, but it's great when you've got a, you know a partner to do it with, and then you know if you get a little fed up, then they can carry the weight for a bit and back and forth, or if you get busy or whatever, right? It's just, uh, it's cool. You, you drive each other. Nick, your interest in pinball, uh, you know, I don't know that I ever really heard where it all started. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'd be curious well, about that. Initially, I was living in Jasper, Alberta, and, and I had uh, kind of got the bug and I downloaded an app and playing Williams pinball on an app and, you know, just trying to see if there was anything around town. And eventually I found out that there was an old dusty Transformers sitting at the bottom of a pizza restaurant in the basement near the bathrooms and so I went in and, and it wasn't working it could play but the balls there was something wrong so I talked to the owner and I said you know if I can take a look at that thing and fix it would it be all right and he said you fix that thing I'll give you beer I'll give you food whatever just if you can fix that thing whatever it costs so I have no real experience. I'm not like Trent, a mechanical engineer who can do this stuff. But I realized that all that had happened is one of the captive balls had managed to get out of the slot. So the table was playing with one too many balls. I unscrewed it, put it back in the captive ball, and then, then the game played flawlessly. And that wound up being kind of my introduction uh, to having a table I could go to regularly. And then COVID happened, and right as that happened, I wound up getting a Liberty Bell and Firepower in a, in a package deal. But the Firepower didn't work, and back to me not knowing anything about fixing machines, uh, it kind of just sat right by Liberty Bell as we played Liberty Bell for hours <laughs> until I could find somebody to trade me. So I wound up trading with a guy um, for um, Firepower. I got Pinbot in return, and I've been, you know, I've played thousands of games on that thing and then moving to Camelot's here just gave me the opportunity to 
start bringing people together and, and meeting people who, uh, who are into it. And we sure have seen that um, with, the, with the turnouts we've had so far. Um, we've done three nights and we've had uh, uh, beginners, we've had players of all skill levels. And uh, as of the last practice night we did, um, we had all the people from the first night return back and it was kind of a, a homecoming of sorts because everybody is kind of giving each other that look of, okay, we are all crazy about pinball. That's awesome. To totally awesome. And again, you will build a community. That's one thing that, uh, you know, we found with the Mid-Island guys. They, they came online about a year and a half ago. You know, they, they sort of, they knew each other. Uh, that's Tyler and Sean, but, uh, you know, and they knew it. They had a couple buddies that played or whatever, but over the years now we're starting to see, I was in an event last night, you know, we've got like, you know, uh, youths, like, you know, kids around 10, 12 playing. We've got women's leagues. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff and it all just grows. Like it's just really organic. Like as long as it's a good vibe and everything else, um, it's a great, fairly cheap night out. And, you know, you get to socialize with other people that have got an interest that's the same as you. And I think it's great. It, it truly it brings so people together. I, I can relate to that just as a story from New Year's. Um, we had gone in a couple nights before New Year's and played with Al Renner's son, who's uh, he's 13 years old. And this kid can play. And so on mm -hmm. average, he probably beats me three out of five games when we're playing kind of in, in the low score realm. When I get on a heater, I can, I can destroy him. But we wound up having such a good time, just me and my friend and, and this 13-year-old and Al Renner, uh, that uh, they invited us to come on New Year's and celebrate with their family and, and ring in the New Year's with, with their family. And there we are just before the countdown. I've got 10 seconds before the countdown, and I've just launched a multi-ball on Twilight Zone. And I, I captive, I catch the ball with the flipper. I lean a chair up against the machine and I go and count down the last five seconds of the new year. We all ring it in, have some champagne, and I go back to the table and finish my multi-ball. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, Nick. Very cool story. Well, I, I love it. I, yeah. I just love how people celebrate and, you know, and it becomes part of your life. Like, it really does. Like, you know, uh, we, we've done trips now with, different people in our leagues, you know, we've gone down to Indisc and we've gone down to Tacoma and I know there'll be a bunch of them going to Yagpin, you know, and then sometimes we just go over, you know, go over to the mainland. People will do stuff and they, and they, you know, the mid Islanders will come down. So, so the community keeps growing, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that happened. And, uh, you know, I've already heard a little smack talk from those Kamloop guys that are going to come down here and, and beat up on, uh, on us Islanders. It, it, we're, we're used to that. We get that from the Vancouver guys all the time, too. Oh, so, yeah. Trent's so, already starting to build our KPL league team. Yeah, no, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and I mean, I look forward to when we can all hang out together and, and yeah, just, just you know, flip and, and, and enjoy our, our similar interest. It, it, it's good stuff. So how do you see the future? Like, I mean, different ideas that you've got going on or, or things like that for the league? Yeah, we're um, going into, like, trying to work towards more tournaments. Because we've got lots of messages from people around the interior that want to come for tournaments. So it would be really fun to just kind of get a lot of people from out of town coming in as well and kind of competing against us and seeing people of all different skill levels just really have fun playing some pinball. So um yeah we want to just reach as many people with pinball as we can because it just clicks with certain people we've had some people come in that just never really played pinball at all and just heard about us through facebook and 
come in and just give it their best. And it's really entertaining watching everybody um, kind of rack up their high scores. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's always cool, too, because, I mean, in most of the environments, I know in ours, it's one of the things that we really push is, you know, the ability to help others, right? Like, I mean, you know, for a lot of people, you know, there's always going to be one or two people that are, are, are slightly better, but, you know, they're sharing information, they're trying to help you out. We've done skill nights, we've done different things that just let everybody, you know, all the, you know, basically raise the tide of the league. And, and just bring the skill level up. I remember when we started at Peacocks, you know, the scores that we'd get, you know, we, we joke about it now, like on Stern, Star Wars, stuff. none of us had any idea what was going on on that machine. It was new and, <laughs> and none of us had any clue. Nobody was looking at videos or the videos weren't out yet for that machine or whatever. And now we're like, well, those, like our scores were like bad single ball scores nowadays, <laughs> so, but we were all proud, like, you know, walking around like we did something back then. So it's all part of it, you know, and, and it's just great seeing everybody's scores come up and just, just, again, you, you feel good. Like really you're competing against yourself and the machine, you know, you're trying to make the ball last longer and everything else. Yeah. The competition's fun, but it's not the most important part. The most important part is just feeling good in the space and, uh, and enjoying yourself, you know, whether it's well, food, beer, people, whatever. I mean, all I, can, I can agree with that, Dan. But uh, the other night, a man named Neil walked into the into the brewery, <laughs> and we had just got the Doctor Who in, and I have the lowest high score on it. I wound up playing a game with him, and he blew me out of the water. I went home angry, and the next day <laughs> I had to come back and play until I beat his record. And it wasn't until then that I exhaled a collective sigh of relief. That finally, I have it back. So, so what <laughs> you're saying is you've removed the the ban of Neil from the league. He's now allowed back in. He's allowed back in. Totally, <laughs> totally. Neil just moved to town six weeks ago, and uh, and he, he he as soon as he stood up to that table, I knew he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, no, and, and, you know, but but the cool thing is you can watch somebody else and learn. And then improve your own game, right? Oh, why is he making Absolutely. those shots, right? You know, and that's part of it. And and I think it's important in the community that that stuff gets shared and spread so that everybody's coming up, right? You know, like trying to hold on to super secret information or stuff like that is like, you know, people are going to get frustrated and walk away. Like, you know, they share, you share, that type of thing, you know. And My, it's, my fiance Allison, says, uh, I can hear you guys outside. Because Trent and I, we will get into a little battle, and it'll just be such a celebration, which with whoever one, one of us wins the actual match, and that kind of collectively shares when we get everybody together for that final round of the night. And it's exactly, and an intermediate and an amateur all playing together, and the 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 beginner wins, and it's a massive celebration, and everybody's screaming, and all the vendors or all the people eating in the restaurant are like, "What's going on over there?" <laughs> yeah, that that was us at peak. It's, it's hilarious because, I mean, they've got, you know, uh, I don't know, 20 pool tables and they've got serious leagues on there and they'd hear us laughing and just carrying on and having a good time in our little corner with the pinball machines. And, and you know, people come over, what what the hell's going on? And say, yeah. well, we're, we're playing pinball and we're having a good time. Like, I mean, yeah, it's competition, but we're, we're having a good time. You know, we're eating chicken wings. Like, <laughs> have a bad day eating chicken wings. It's, it's Taco it's, Tuesdays at Alchemy on Tuesday. For, uh, well, there you go. Again, $10 okay, free play and Taco Tuesdays. How yeah. can you have a bad day eating tacos? That's like, <laughs> I think it is physically impossible. It is, you know, so, so that's part of it. And that's, that's part of what everybody has to understand. It's not just, how can that even work? You know, how do you guys, it's like, don't, don't worry about it. Just come out. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I used to love playing at home. 
I mean, I do still love playing at home, but I, I prefer to play out at the bar. It's just fun playing with other people and just like seeing how everybody's interacting. And yeah, it, it's kind of fun. Like I'll be playing and someone will be peering over my shoulder and like, why are you doing that? I'm like, well, I'm uh, trying to get this, this and this. Yeah. So it's, it, it's just a lot of fun to kind of learn off each other. And like I've yeah. owned Twilight Zone for a while and I played a lot of that game at my house. And I didn't even know like when you're in the upper level, um, fighting the power you want to hit the the side bands as much as you can before you sink it in the center yeah and al al actually figured that out i i just always went for that shot right away so it's just fun to play with other people and learn a bunch from them yep. and uh yeah it's a great community yeah i i own a twilight zone as well so um so yeah i it true and not true i mean it depends what you're trying to do if you're trying to get the lits then you just want to make sure you get the middle like, you know, that you ejected for score. Definitely, you want to try to hit some of the sides, but... Uh, well, I'm, I'm still learning. Then. Uh, yeah. We just saw 34 million on that the other day, and we're going, how the hell did you get there? That yeah. Was a, nope. yeah, that was my wife on the winning round of uh, last uh, free play night. Oh, yeah, no, Twilight to me... I mean, I picked it up on the... Uh, on the Sort of on the recommendation of... Uh, who a, a person that was, like, the number one player in Canada for a long time, and he was like, well, this is the game that taught me how to avoid mistakes like you know just to concentrate more and and to be you know a little more like i am a bit of a flailer but this stops you you can't flail on twilight zone and, Absolutely. you know you've got you got to slow yourself down you got to make right shots and uh and i hated the game and hated the game and hated the game and then i figured out the game and now i love the game and, and absolutely uh, my favorite game of all time at this it, point. It, yeah. it, it's an amazing game it, it, it's truly an amazing game and so like you know you were saying before uh trent you know that you've got five games at home and you sort of like playing up i'm the same way i've got eight here and i barely play them unless people come over you know it, it's one of those things like i i'm a social player um you know and i want to see i mean i you know i want to get a good score of course but it, it's almost more seeing the glee and everything else than other people Absolutely. And, yeah uh, and that's it's just not, cool it's not the same either like you're playing at home trying to get your highest score and you kind of lose focus but when you're out there like when i'm playing against nick i we were playing uh lethal weapon three and he he was beating me real bad and the last ball i just like got real competitive with him and i honed <laughs> in and oh i almost beat him but then the bonus kicked in and i just beat him and we're just like yelling like Woo! isn't that it the was, best it was like two thousand points so it was absolutely we were so close yeah oh it's 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 incredible and the feeling is awesome and I mean I can hear it in your voices what you guys you know the celebration that's going on and that, and that's what's cool about it all right like that's that's until people come out and we found like you know it's not always for everybody some people just come out with a little nostalgia and they go and we we've gone through probably about 120 to 140 players in Victoria over the years. You know, but we've got 60 or 70 that are very much regulars. And, wow. Uh, wow. No, well, again, regulars in different leagues. We, you know, there's people yeah. in women's league. There's people in, in different leagues. But, uh, yeah, but that just comes from people getting exposure. You know, the number of people that come into a league, a certain percentage are going to hang out. You know, early early days you get much higher rates because those are the hardcore people that, you know that really miss pinball but uh well to, to all your listeners on the island if you have friends uh in Kamloops and in the area uh have them reach out to us on the Kamloops Pinball League Facebook page uh okay. from there 
we're going to continue to try and expand. You know, we'll get an email eventually. We'll start getting this all together. For now, we're just trying to bring people together. Um, and so we're going to be running this uh, every Tuesday now until the beginning of summer. And then our plan will be that this fall we'll actually start a league and we'll we'll keep scores and we'll try and get our designation and and then. Hopefully, the real goal would be to assemble a crew of four of us to, to come down and, and play with you guys one time if you have a tournament going on or there's something that uh, us mainlanders can come over and, uh, <laughs> and challenge you with. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, I, um, you know, I, we, we just came off of the BC Provincials and uh, the, the Open was held over on the mainland and, and they're great folks. I mean, I, I've met some real good friends there now and and uh, and stuff and you know it's it, it's definitely something that we have to keep in mind because obviously we got ferry costs and everything else and uh, nothing's free but uh i i can't speak highly enough of how many good people i've met in the community you know people in alberta as well just just some great folks so so it's uh yeah it, it's good times you know people if you're in the area i was there in september and unfortunately this wasn't running then uh, i only wish it, it's a, it's an amazing city. Kamloops is very nice, um, you know, and uh, so, yeah, hats off to both of you for what you're doing and uh, for what you're building and, you know, and what you're giving back to the public. That, that's great stuff. Alchemy Brewery is the name of the place again. That's right. Out? Al yep. and Chantel Renner, uh, they own Alchemy Brewing. There's great beer, great food, tacos on Tuesday and uh and six pinball machines soon to be upwards of eight so we'll 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 keep you in touch we'll keep in touch about that and we have another local brewery called um, bright eye uh that has also brought in two machines so we're seeing some expansion around town and uh, you know what next time we talk to you never know where we're going to be daryl start up the car <laughs> guys um, oh, uh, again thanks for coming on thanks for letting us into your uh you know in, into your world and uh and we really do appreciate what you're doing for the pinball community well we're smiling all the ear ear to ear so we really appreciate this guy's face your machine is broke you're losing your grip might be time for a Hey, Daryl, uh, what's in the shop? Well, it's been an interesting uh, few weeks. We've got a game in. Actually, uh, a, a buddy came and asked if I could look at a game he had. And I asked him what it was. And he said, well, you've never probably heard of it. It's a Gamatron. And uh, I kind of did my, uh, you know, does not compute. Yeah. Trying to think, and I thought, well, you mean game plan? No, no, Gamatron. Yep. What is a Gamatron? Uh, so doing a little research on, on this beast, which, which wasn't working, uh, turned out to be quite a fascinating adventure. I think you had heard of it. Yeah, I was actually really excited because you mentioned it to me. And I was like, my buddy Randy, since I've known him, has had a Gamatron and it's never worked. Um, so this goes back like, I guess we're 15 years now or something. I've known Randy and he's, he's tried to get it working once or twice and he had it working before I knew him. And so I was very curious about it. What the Gamatron was, and this is kind of interesting, was actually a conversion kit. Gary Stern, who basically prior to, uh, post leaving original Stern, prior right. to forming Data East, mm -hmm. he formed a company called Pinstar. Okay. And what Pinstar's goal was, was to get basically a fine operators with you know beaten up clapped out uh worn games mm -hmm. and offer a conversion kit to kind of refresh them oh yeah uh, which is, it's a kind of an odd thing too because they originally designed or ostensibly for stern games 
was going to say, so this is Stern Electronics, as, uh, as it's known, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. By the time, it was just uh, Gary Stern on his own. Right. And, uh, yeah, so this is for Stern games, ostensibly, uh, when the kit came out, and the kit was really quite elaborate, what you had to do to these games, uh, they would only fit belly games. Uh, okay. Which is strange. But in doing some more research, I kind of found the link between, I've known for years that belly Stern boards are used in a lot of 80 games. Right. Uh, and that was another kind of uh, interesting. We'll maybe get to that a little later. Anyway, I took a look at the uh, the Gamatron. It came in, and the conversion kit was uh, was very elaborate. Like I said, it it came with a, a new translate or mm-hmm. back back glass back piece of plastic. Yes, back it, it came with <laughs> stickers for the side of the game. A complete okay. new playfield, um, or I should say decals for both the back box and the side. Uh, a new playfield, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of oddities. Um, we've noticed when we when we played it. Yep. That it's got uh, an additional zero, <laughs> a, a, basically a phony zero uh, added to the tail end of the uh, the score displays. Yep. With a light kit to light that up. I guess it gives the idea that you've got ten times as many points. Yeah, it became a seven digit. It, yeah. it sort of read as a seven digit. Uh... Um, display rather than the six oh, digit exactly. display. Yeah. And, this, and this conversion kit was rather complex to install. Uh, when it first arrived in the shop for repair, I looked at it and I thought, well, this has just been butchered and hacked. Uh, not so. That's exactly what you'd had to do. You chopped connectors, uh, you rewired <laughs> things. Uh, the fundamental game change was that they give you a piggyback circuit board, uh, quite an elaborate board that plugs into where the microprocessor was, okay. takes over its duties, uh, gives you a, a whole new game, and of course, as you know, talking to you more and, and looking more research, it was basically the game Flight Two Thousand. Yeah, no, it's it's basically. I think we even found out uh, from um, the uh, IPDB, it's one hundred percent the same code. The, the as code, Flight the code is bit for bit the same code, <laughs> uh, and it's a the playfield is very similar, but kind of uh, squished down because Two Thousand was a wide body, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so it looks when you look at it, you think you're seeing Flight Two Thousand until you sort of really look at it and you go, "Oh yeah, there's there's not as much room out here." Yeah, and then to get that working like that, they not only narrowed the board, but they had uh, there's modifications you had to pull out some of the cabinet parts yep. to get it in. And uh, so I could see that, but everything I looked at looked like you know some sort of mods or hacks. But no, it, this was a conversion kit. Uh, the gentleman that owned it, uh, unfortunately, the uh, side decals were all scratched and gone. He did a great job of uh, he's a professional painter of duplicating it, okay. so the cabinet looked uh, looked original. But what a, what a strange thing! Uh, I did manage to get it going, mm-hmm. uh, partly f- basic on some. Uh, I know the Stern Bally set pretty well. Uh, no documentation on the actual board that the piggyback board, and it's right. quite a complex board. But what I realized was that the board itself, the original board, was sending a signal that wasn't getting there from its own microprocessor. So having traced that down, um, got a little bit lucky maybe, but it took a lot of uh, diligence to get going. I mean, heaven forbid if the main that board ever goes, because nobody's you know. Yeah, you're not going to get a reproduction n- board on no, that. No, no, true um, enough. And it was a, it's a challenge to troubleshoot too, because there's no obviously no manual that tells you the, the how they cross-wired things like lights and solenoids and that kind of thing. Uh, what I had to do the other day to do a bit of repair on it too was look in the Flight 2000 manual, look Smart. on the play field, compare what the the, um, the lights were on that play field compared to the position on the uh, on the uh, Gamatron play field mm-hmm. and figure out what they would do. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. You look at what was blast off on 
Flight 2000 right. is now Gamatron. Guys, <laughs> okay, is that a coincidence? I don't oh, know. Well, Same number of letters. <laughs> well, Barracor is a story there, too, where, where they switched the name from Las Vegas to Barracor. So when you look at the stand-ups, one right. of them has two oh, letters yeah. on it, a double R. Um, I mean, it was a relatively sh- short run on these. I think 350, I think, is what we've oh, seen. Very, very small, like and they're very rare to find them in the wild. They didn't sell that well. And the reason given generally is that Again, it's, it's kind of interesting. This whole thing was a big industry crux. You know, Gary Stern is just getting into Data East. Yep. Uh, Stern itself is not really existing as an entity anymore. And what we're seeing is suddenly other manufacturers are getting things like uh, speech. They're getting things like, uh, you know, ramps, uh, ramps um, yep. uh, upper play fields. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, it, it came out as probably a good idea because there are probably a lot of beaten up games. Oh, for sure. And Flight 2000 is, you know, was is a good game to play, mm-hmm. but, you know, just maybe a year too late. Yeah, um, conversions are, are, are an interesting breed. I'll just branch off here just really quickly um, because there was something that came out about five years before then, which was called... Um, the professional pinball challenger uh and they came out in five different versions uh, named roman numeral one to five and these were also bali conversion kits coming out of toronto uh there were there was a company there that did overlays and uh new back glasses and so these were for things like eight ball bobby or power play strikes and spares uh bali star trek and i'm missing one but there, there's one other one and each overlay was different because, of course, the all you're doing is putting that on top of the old play field. So none of these, even though they basically were similar games, none of these are actually the same. I've seen a couple of them in one location, which was Expo in like 2007. I think they had them out in Chicago. Um, yeah, I, you know, a different world. And again, somebody trying to come up with some sort of idea to, to make beat up games look a lot better. Um, you know, and, and, and keep them going, but very, very rare and, um, never really, uh, took off, but this was five years later and it was Gary sort of doing something in between his two companies, um, you know, and giving it a try. And, and in this case here, although it wasn't perhaps a numerical success, the game is fun. Like you and I played it a bit. We're going to have a little bit of, uh, oh, yeah, totally. yeah. sounds no, from the games no, and stuff. I was and really surprised. Well, You've always liked Stern's. Love, love, love Stern electronic games. Yeah, and how, how they so, play. Yeah. So it was fundamentally uh, that. And mm-hmm. like I say, it was a, a very strange crux point, too, for this all to happen with uh, Gary Stern and then the belly, you know, Stern uh, well, strangeness. That, that's and, the oddity. It, yeah. The real oddity is that he's making them and they don't even fit into his game. I think one of the problems yeah. was this plexi back glass wouldn't actually fit in the stern cabinet. No, no, <laughs> which no, is sort of weird. Um, you know, it would only fit into Bally cabinets. And there was a couple other reasons why basically the conversion really became for Bally's. Yeah. yeah so you've got um, a stern guy yep. putting um, conversion kits into Bally pinball games yep. using stern software and, and Bally hardware. So it's a very, uh, yeah, very, very, and ambitious, very bold, but uh, but as to the gameplay, like I said, it's good. You just just have a listen here, Dan. To this is these are the sounds of this game. Uh, this is pure eighties. Yeah, no, and and you know this just brings back so many great memories to me when I'm playing something like this. Although I had never played Gamatron before, it just played so well. The multi ball was all right. 
I had talked with my friend who who had one previously or still has one as far as I know. Um, and he was mentioning, you know, the, and I, I call it pretty bang on. The, the single ball play is actually much better in Gamatron or, or better. Um, just feels more like a Stern. Whereas Flight 2000 as a wide body didn't have that classic Stern feel necessarily. When you get into multi-ball, the angles change in the single ball, or sorry, in the uh, standard size cab. And I'd say probably Flight 2000 uh, provides better gameplay at that point. Um, but yeah, just a really odd, uh, semi-rare or fairly rare game. And uh, uh, just so lucky to be able to have a chance to play it. Yeah, well, the gameplay is really interesting. And it's something people might want to look up on the internet, probably Flight 2000 because it's got a very interesting way of trapping balls and, mm-hmm. and moving them. It, it kind of grabs them, then drops them back into a couple slots, and yep. then it has uh, many many things going on there. It's yeah, there's a lot there. of stuff going on, and, and again, and, it's got those space sounds and different yeah, things. And, and, and getting the multi-ball is actually quite uh, challenging, actually. It is challenging, yeah. but it, it's rewarding when it happens. It's very satisfying, yeah. So it's yeah. good. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'll see anything more like it, but I sure enjoyed uh, getting it going, and uh, I look forward to playing it some more. Awesome. Well, hello again, it's uh, Dan Betterlick here with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast, and today I'm really, really happy to have uh, a good friend from uh, back east who uh, visited us out here uh, last summer, but uh, we've got uh, Joe uh, Cherovino uh, on, and uh, we're going to discuss uh, a few things. Joe, how you doing? Hey, hey, it's great to be here. It's good to see you, Dan. Uh, great to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, absolute pleasure to have you here. You're known for a bunch of different things. First of all, you're just known for being an outgoing, really fun guy. Uh, you know, you hit a lot of tournaments. You're out there a lot. You created a group um, on Facebook that's become quite popular. And, uh, you know, um, it's it's now people are wearing it uh, with a badge of pride to be called a, a degenerate. It, uh, can you explain a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. I'm very, very flattered that people have taken on sort of uh like buying merch and like wearing them at shows stuff I'd say I'm extremely flattered and really really happy with the way the community has grown but to start from the very beginning basically I just had this word that just kept on rolling in the back of my head uh pinball instead of like a pinball wizard or you know uh sort of like pinball pro or something I'm like no we're like degenerates we're just like psychotically <laughs> obsessed with pinball where it's like it's like you know like I won't even consider going to like a friend's party unless they're somewhere near a pinball place where i could play pinball for an hour and then go to the party afterward you know like like uh, these things are coming into my mind like like i'm really editing my lifestyle all around pinball and it really solidified actually a few years back during ipa 15 when the whole world came to uh, uh to play in canada for the first time and uh, incredible players from all over the world came they're playing you know uh high level pinball up in uh you know up in uh uh, near Keswick, Georgina, Ontario, where um, Adam Becker hosted the IFPA 15. And and then, you know, they're all the way up in north of Toronto, about an hour or so north. And they're playing high-level competitive pinball for like, I don't know, 14, 15 hours straight. And then my friends, they came down to Toronto to hang out and play and party and drink and play more pinball, you know? Uh, I was just amazed by the level of, like, just love for pinball. They couldn't get enough, even after playing for like, you know, the 
this the whole day, you know, and still had more games to play, more high-level games to play the day after. They were partying with me at this place, Tilt, in Toronto. Great place. It's it sort of is under reconstruction. It's sort of the neighbors above the, the location in Toronto burned down. Uh, I the know, building. yeah. And now they're, they're in the process of rebuilding, which is great. But uh, at the time, you know, uh, we were having a fantastic time at Tilt in Toronto, and we were partying and drinking. I'm like, you guys are degenerates. You guys are absolute <laughs> and well degenerates. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, yeah. So that kind of like the concept stuck and I was like, you know, I really like that concept. And so, you know, I just wanted to get, it really is. I really don't want to make it about me at all. The whole original process was like, let's just make a cool community, which started mainly honestly from just my friends that I knew in the pinball community. Mm -hmm. And I just, I invited them and I was like, Hey, this is a cool, this, I want this to be a cool place where, you know, just be supportive. Everybody don't judge anybody. Uh, for like all crazy stuff they do like th we all we're all degenerates we're all you know s nuts for pinball so let's just accept it let's own it you know let's own that term you know and and uh to share with everybody all the crazy stuff that we're doing in pinball whether it's you know uh, refurbishing games or a crazy high score or all the crazy tournaments you're going to and the stuff that you're seeing um you know all kinds of stuff like that and that's uh also kind of re reflected in the degenies which i wanted to kind of continue to sort of reward the community for their you know com contributing their their strange lifestyle to the pinball degenerates page so i mean that's a that's an award show that you started two years ago yep. if i'm right yeah yeah yep. and, and so i know it's just the 1000 yeah when we hit the 1000 thing i was like you know what we're gonna do something fun as like a reward and then people are like please bring it back please do it again i'm like Oh boy, it's like this is all coming out of my own pocket, folks. There's no sponsorship here. <laughs> Not that I would be against it, but there's nobody wants to sponsor this crap. But uh, you know, like so I don't you know, it comes all the awards, you know, it's like yeah. you know, uh, the shipping and everything and that's all out of my own pocket. So like, you know, and and then, then I'm like, fine, and if it's all if I'm paying for it myself, I'm the one I'm the only one making the call because you know, then it gets into like I'm too lazy to do like all this like, you know, all the stuff that the, all the awards do to show the, you know, the the percentage of voting and, mm -hmm. you know, who voted and all the, the, the paperwork. is I'm way too late. I'm like, look, this is a completely biased judging system. <laughs> I am the only person judging this. So if you have a problem, then you come to me. That's the only thing. <laughs> I'm so like, come to me, say like I was a wrong, I was wrong. Fine. We'll talk about it. But like, I just want to make it simple, you know, say, hey, I recognize these people and also try to do a little bit of good with the Pinball Degenerates Awards. A few of the awards go to helping uh, I personally again contribute uh, some money to certain charities, yep. uh, the Multiple Sclerosis Foundation, uh, Cancer Research, and also uh, the National Society of Mental Health. You know, just to, just to do some good. And you know what's really great is um, I just want to shout out again to my friends T Bone and Jill uh, Forrest, who actually matched my donation for Multiple Sclerosis for a hundred dollars. They matched that amount uh, for my That's donation. Awesome. So again, if you can do something good with pinball that's all the more better you know we'll have a lot of fun we'll do goofy stuff uh, but if we can really make kind of a little bit of a little dent of good in the world then that's that's really that's that's the cherry on top you know so oh, for sure yeah yeah I, I mean that's something that i've always pushed hard i mean you know uh walt uh you know a friend of both of ours back yep. in toronto with his yeah, uh, great guy. 
you know, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Well, now. it was Bluffs, and now now he's working Not, with no, Cause, P A W. Oh, oh, with Char- no. Pinball for Change, you're saying? Pinball for Change, right? Yeah, That's Pinball what for I'm Change. Of. His, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, he does a great job. He raised tons of money for a great cause. Yeah, and his daughter helps out all the time. Is is the main reason, you know, the inspiration for it, and it's fantastic. And we do the same thing here, like with the BC Kids Hospital. We've done stuff for them and and different groups. We always try to tie it into something because my my it, my thinking along those lines is, you know. For most cases, we're fortunate to be able to enjoy something, you know, in our adulthood here now, for the most part. I mean, you know, the majority of people playing are adults, um, you know, and to be able to give back just a little with, you know, very little effort and and to be enjoying yourself while you're doing it. it it's it's a win-win. Better than that. It's yeah. a win-win for everybody. Yeah, no, right? it's, it's great. It's great. You know, yeah, and, so we're, and so we're, we're kind of like the Shriners, but way more creepy. <laughs> <laughs> we're kind of like the Shriners. You know, we're trying to do good. Well, 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 <laughs> well, 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 well I, don't know, I think our hats are actually probably well, cooler, buddy. You should get, yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, your hats definitely are. They're, yeah, people love, people love the hats. It's great. I pretty yep. much sold out of them. I think I've got just two two blue ones left. So, and these things, if you guys think that I'm making a profit off these things, no, I know you're. uh, Wow, you got. I'm a terrible (laughs) business person because, like, oh man, like I just got, I got. I mean, like I'm. If I can just break even on this stuff, basically, the only reason why I'm making all this merch is because I think it's cool, right? Yep. And if I can get other people to kind of help, like, throw their a little bit of money in the pot to help make it happen, then that's like great. Wonderful, you know, but like, uh, like literally, if I sold all these hats, I think I'm still in the hole by like a hundred dollars or so. Because, uh, man, there was some crazy taxes that I had to pay at the end on the shipping of this thing, which was ridiculous. But anyhow, you know, that's just the way it goes. I just, I'm so, so honestly, it really, really makes me so happy that people have embraced the group and are proud to like wear stuff representing the group in public at shows and stuff i i try I, I, every day i think like i don't want to let these people down i don't want this some, to be something that they're embarrassed to wear or you know something you know i want this to something mm-hmm. to be awesome a badge of honor to some degree you know like sure I'm part of a cool group of cool people that love pinball that's all it means you know yeah, no, and I and I think that's one of the things about it. I mean, the name itself sort of, you know, people can think, oh, what, what? But it isn't about that. It, it, it's like you say, it's definitely about a group that's incredibly supportive, and and you know, nobody's trying to, you know, take other people down or whatever. Yeah, we're and just that's great. Some fun. We need more you know, of that. We do, exactly. We do stupid me- memes. I do like a lot of yep. dumb memes, and I try to get people to. I've got like this weird, almost uh, religious, somewhat cult-like crusade to get people to embrace the term Tima, which is T-I-M-A, thematically integrated mechanical action, which is, in my opinion, what makes pinball unique. But we could go into that some other time. But uh, like, it's kind of an inside joke about Tima, and like, you know, does this game have enough Tima in it? Like, like you know, the new uh, Galactic Tank Force game, it turns into a tank. Is that Tima? I don't know. You know, I saw the video of that, that it is oh, yeah. they were running it around with the remote control yeah the texas pinball festival is yeah, that was different <laughs> yeah i mean you know i just hope the game's good obviously the first and foremost that, everyone that's what people care about but that's all that matters you know to me, that, that's always what matters is is, is, is it fun to play you know yeah yeah for sure and, and, know, and what a great time that way like you know i mean and the, you know uh, the fact that we've got what six or seven new titles that have come out in the last Three weeks, it's crazy. Four weeks. It's crazy. I, I don't know. I don't know that there has ever been a time. Period. Like in yeah. pinball world, because before there was never more than sort of four or five companies active, 
and there wouldn't have been this type of lineup. Like, I mean, they were doing some of them were doing five, six titles a year. Um, you know, because we're t- I'm talking all the way back to the 40s, 50s, sure. 60s, right? Right. Oh but yeah, they were still, they were definitely cranking them out back in the 40s. Where they're cranking them out, but the thing is, yeah. it just wasn't that many different companies mm-hmm. doing that volume. There was still only three or four companies doing that volume. Yeah, so, and there's just yeah, a different six. market for each different manufacturer too. Like yep. basically, back in the day, it was just the essentially it was like 98% was the the uh, the location Operators. the operator yeah, market sure. right now yeah, it's yeah. like homebrew or like you know like or like small yeah. niche boutique and yeah. you know then they have the on the opposite level you got like something more like a JJP which is a real high end collector you know really blinged out like i mean i don't know how much more you could bling out a pinball machine than the godfather really like they they're blinging out the the legs and the everything you know like it's just wild yeah. so you've got everything you got a whole smorgasbord a whole spectrum of different markets and uh, buyers, people who like music, people who like movies, people who like kind of uh, esoteric stuffs, you know, like uh, it's just, it's great. It's a wonderful as, as a consumer, I'm not sure if it's so great as a manufacturer to have all that competition, uh, but as a consumer, we are definitely the clear, we're, we're, we're spoiled for choice. We're clearly the winner here. And uh, man, I wish I had like, you know, nine or $10,000 to blow right now. Cause I it would be gone. It would be absolutely. Absolutely gone. I would probably buy the Pulp Fiction game. That's the one that, for me, really kind of like uh, sticks out the most to me because I'm a movie guy first and foremost. And, you know, that's one of the great. I had that Pulp Fiction poster of Uma Thurman of the cover, you know, like on my back, uh, the back of my bedroom door for like like six or seven years. You know, it was like huge movie buff, you know, and that was like such a groundbreaking film and so quotable and music's incredible and they all have it in there because you know they got tarantino to buy in on it and you know it's just awesome so for me that's like you know it's a it's it's a that niche you know specific market of like a really like a big film buff kind of that like hits all the ticks all the you know boxes and stuff but again there's so much variety and so much stuff i wish i was at tim texas pinball festival right now because man it's bonkers i'm sure yeah i'm sure it is but i know you know it's getting streamed and um i mean i always sort of like to pull the curtain back a little bit and and, then you mentioned it there that you are a film guy well you've you've actually studied like you you graduated out of film school yeah Um, i went to ryerson university in toronto which was a a four-year a bachelor's degree uh but it was much more hands-on it was much more practical so you actually you know you worked in crews and made your films and rotated positions and actually knew they taught you how to actually load you know film and <laughs> process it and the <laughs> principles of photography so um yeah that's and i you know i made my own small little films on 35 millimeter which is like the standard for most uh what well, was the standard for most film production until digital came over but um yeah and uh, i still kind of work in the industry here and there i do a couple little things i do some voice work on some uh some digital uh shorts and cartoons and stuff like that it's really fun yeah i noticed that you uh, you actually had a credit for something in the last year or so uh we were talking about it off air but uh you you were doing some voice work for for a cartoon um uh, you were playing uh edison was it yeah yeah so <laughs> there's this great studio here in toronto called tin man studios and they they do a lot of children's programming for like you know regular tv but they also do a lot of digital youtube shorts and stuff like that and uh they have this concept of a tv show called super science friends where all the great scientists 
scientists and thinkers of the uh, mostly of the 20th century uh, get together and have superpowers, really strange kind of esoteric superpowers, and they try to try to fight Nazis in the 1940s. So you've okay. got you've got like. Uh, Characters like uh, Einstein, but is uh, in this timeline the the original Einstein is killed mysteriously, and they cloned his body, and so he's only a teenage kid, but he can run really super fast because he has relativity powers, like kind of <laughs> Flash. He can run really fast, okay. and um, there's also um, uh, of course there's Darwin, uh, Charles Darwin. He can he can evolve himself into any other animal, so he can turn himself into an uh, a t- he can even turn himself into a T-Rex. He can turn himself into a, like a baboon or a, you know a canary or oh, a, cool. uh, yeah or an elephant or whatever, depending yeah. on whatever he needs to turn himself into. And then there's uh, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud's kind of like Professor X. He can use like mental powers, but yep. only your sexual thoughts he can manipulate. <laughs> so if Oops. you have like mommy daddy issues, he can really mess with your head <laughs> or just like make you fall in love with somebody else or something oh. and start kissing them. And then there's Marie Curie. She's got special radiation powers. She's got a special like uh, radioactive ring that she can shoot like radiation radi- radiation out. But every time she uses it, she sort of gets sicker and sicker, and she kind of <laughs> gets like you kinda, she almost kills herself a little bit. She gets older and like her skin starts sagging off her face. So oh, there's uh, <laughs> there's all these kinds of crazy characters, and um, they, they're all trying to fight like yeah the Nazis of the of this kind of a uh, sort of uh, alternate future where like there's Hitler's dead already, but they have a Hitler bot. It's like this like eight story high robot with Hitler's face on it, and uh, it was just a crazy story. So I play one of the supervillains, and the show's kind of like a bit like the Batman '66 Adam West uh, Batman from the '60s, and so okay. I play like this one kind of supervillain who's like really over the top, and is play- and is the character is. Uh, um, uh, Thomas, Thomas Edison. Edison Thomas yeah. Edison. And so instead of bringing light to the world and, you know, uh, bringing free energy to people, he sucks the energy out of the world with his special <laughs> uh, energy sucking gun that he shoots back at the good guys. And uh, that's his goal is to like con- like control all the light and all the energy in the world. So he's a psychotic, you know, maniac character. And, you know, they asked me to kind of like do a sort of a sort of like a uh, Mark Hamill ish version of the joker if you guys watched the original batman series from the from the 90s yep. he did a lot of voice work uh, he is still do ton of voice work yeah. in uh, batman especially as joker in the batman world mark hamill and, and i'm like okay i'll give it a shot so it was really hard on my voice it was like because it's really raspy and 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 deep and so but it was really really fun i think it came out you can check it out on youtube super science friends i'm in episode two actually i was one of the sponsors of the first episode the pilot and one of the perks of being a certain level like kickstarter sponsor was you get to get killed in the first episode and i was like oh for sure i want that i so they do, at the end of the after the first episode you hear me talking and you see my face as a character and i was like look dude you have to blow up my brain you have to blow my head up in the game oh, that's the, my only request that my head explodes in the episode so you'll see at the end of the episode or episode one actually me joe Cheravino, not a different character gets his head exploded in the most glory <laughs> Like uh, David Cronenberg-esque kind of uh, way. It's awesome. And they're they're really wonderful people. Incredibly easy to work with. The director, Brett Juvenile, he was the guy who came up with the concept and a lot of the, the, the looks of the characters and stuff. It's really fun. They've got at least like nine episodes out. And they're worldwide. Oh, cool. they're, they're all over the world. Like they have the translations in different languages now. It's really, truly amazing what you can do with YouTube and the audiences you can reach now. It's fantastic. 
Well, definitely a different world. Yeah, for sure. Along those lines, I mean, now we're talking film. We got to get into pinball too, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the, good, the good thing, well, yeah, the Godfather's there too. But I'm just thinking, you know, one of the great things that's happened in this last couple of weeks, like, I mean, in the last week, it's gone, uh, it started streaming. But, um, you know, we've got Pinball, the man who saved the game. Oh, yeah. Um, absolutely. You know, wow. What a just great came film. Out. Yeah, and and uh, you were at the uh, so this is this is the story of Roger Sharp and the called shot, um, but so much more than that. Um, and you were at the pre the Toronto premiere of that, right? That's correct. Yeah, uh, Je- thankfully Jeff Teolis, who knows Roger quite well, was able to set up um, a screening with um, the producers uh, of the the owners of the film, the distributor of the film. And Roger and Roger actually came in person. He braved really not pleasant, the most pleasant Canadian conditions. Let me tell you, there was like a crazy blizzard that night. And Roger, true to his word, stayed and you know he met pe- with people before uh, for a little meet and greet. And then at the screening, he was there. And then also, I got to hang out with Roger Sharp at a little private little uh, arcade here in Toronto at a place called Cabin Fever and play some pinball with Roger as well, which was really awesome to play some split flipper with. Uh, Roger. But the movie itself is absolutely spectacular. It is such an incredible crowd pleaser of a film. And I, 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 Roger, obviously, I've told him this a million times already, but he's so he should be so proud of himself. The crew, the cast, all are fantastic. They should be all proud of themselves for the for the this. this. It's so hard to make a movie and it's doubly hard to make a good movie, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, well, yeah. done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know I watched it with my wife and who's not a pinball person at all. And um, it's so much more than a pinball movie. Like, this isn't a pinball documentary, in my mind. This no. is much more of no. a film. This is much yeah. more character-based. Um, you know, you've got love interests. You've got all sorts of other, you know, character character stories rather than just, you know, the fact that, yeah, there is there is the main plot line of, of the shot. But uh, there's so much more to it. And it was so enjoyable. I like some of the techniques, too, that they used where they had multiple Roger Sharps, you know, no, 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 no robot Roger Sharps. But they had they had multiples <laughs> of them. And 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 uh, yeah, it was just I don't even know what that technique was called. And of course, neither of them were really Roger Sharp. They were all actors. But it was yeah, very, Roger very himself cool. is not actually in the film. But I, I think yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a producer, and so. Well, forth. no, no. There's a picture of him in the credits. There, there oh, are a couple oh, right. Oh, yeah. At the very end, the credits yeah. sequence, there's him and his wife, Ellen. Yes, yeah, right. But I mean, uh, but the performances by uh, what's his name? Who um, Dennis Bosolaris, I think is. It? I yep. can't remember his last name. Uh, he is spot on. I mean, he is mm-hmm. as Roger as Roger is now, contemporary Roger. Yep. I mean, he gets his mannerisms, his, just the way his cadence of speech, his slight midwestern accent yep. it's really astonishing how spot on he is for roger and uh, mike fast does a great job as the younger roger he's yep. a little more idealistic a little more upbeat a little more peppy you know like oh what's going on here that's pinball oh, okay you know and uh, the mustache is ridiculous it's yes. all it's acknowledged many times how cumbersome and strange roger's mustache is even for the time which yep. you know uh, but it, it's so wonderful and again like you said you don't have to be you don't have to have any predisposed knowledge of pinball whatsoever no. it's just a compelling human story about you know a person's journey through a specific time in their life where it seems like things are going really bad and you know there's no real 
hope for the future, not many prospects, and then something, boom, someone will come into your life, bang, just like that, and change everything, you know? And just like pinball can just come into your life and bang, change for, everything, you know? With, 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 without a shadow of a doubt. You know, and, and even the like the scenery and the costuming and everything Fantastic. was so bang on. And I mean, you know, for somebody of my age, it's perfect because this is sort of my period, right? Like I'm yeah. watching this stuff and I'm going – Oh, yeah, I remember wearing stuff like that. I'm glad I'm not now, but uh, I remember right. doing that back then. But it's so it, colorful. It's so well, yep. like, you know, it's just so well choreographed. As, uh, the cinematography and the art direction is all really incredibly bright and colorful and welcoming yes. and warm, warming. And all very warm tones in the film. Mm-hmm. And like a pinball machine, you know, wants to like you know lure you in, and you know like they they do such a great job, and, and uh, I I swear to God, not a single false note in any of the performances, because sometimes when you have child performances, they can come across as either really artificial or cloying, or but the kid who plays Seth in the movie is excellent, as oh, well no, as yeah. the rest of the cast uh, who uh, plays Ellen and and uh everybody like the whole there's not a false note in the entire everyone plays their role so well and uh, and there's some great little bits of light humor you know uh, it's just it's just has to be it's the right tone it just hits no, the right tone exactly like all the way around i mean there were a couple inside you know references and stuff that so if you were a little more into the history and all, you know, you got a little bit, and even when, sure. you know, when, when the character's fighting with the director, you know, just saying, Hey, look at, you can't do things that way or whatever, right. you know, th- that type <laughs> of stuff was really cool. I will, I will always hold out though, that the casting of Zach Sharp was not correct. Okay. But, okay. You know, when he's but, not <laughs> the guy, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that wasn't, I, I think we were talking before we talked to him. It's like, that guy looked like an MMA fighter. Zach Sharp is not yeah. an MMA fighter. So, like he looked- so, <laughs> Like, like Josh, sort of the guy they got to look like yep. Josh. You barely kind of see his face; he's kind of cut off by the frame. But yeah, Zach looks like a bruiser. Like he looks like a <laughs> nightclub, like a nightclub uh, security Bouncer, guy. Yeah, for Bouncer. sure. Like, I know. Like, yeah. Like, you know, like, and again, like they're not. You know, like Zach and 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 Josh are. You know, they're. You know. Regular guys, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're average guys. They're not no. ripped. These no. guys are ripped. I know. It, so it, I was it was pretty too, funny, yeah. but you know, it's ten seconds at the end. But yeah, so it, I mean, it's not that. And, and I'm poking just to say that it can't be perfect. Like that's yeah. the only thing I'm saying. But like, it was wow, such Roger had a good two film. kids, two boys, very strong boys. Dude. <laughs> Holy moly! Really? Where did they get those jeans? <laughs> Fair enough, but but again, I I don't know that I can recommend a pinball movie more. I was thinking of like you know Licorice Pizza and other things I've seen, which yeah. again, Licorice Pizza was a fun film. Um, definitely and it has paint. It. it has pinball in it, right? Yes, as a main but it's plot not, point, but right, but it's, it's not it's, a pinball film. No, like. exactly. And then you know when you're talking documentaries, this this is sort of a documentary but it's not it's almost so like it's a, a recreation it's a recreation right it's right. a recreation of, it's a, it's a recreation of a, of a of a historical event it's a reimagining of an a historic it's a narrativization no. of a historical and, event yeah and, and and openly with adjustments right like i mean again mm-hmm. it's not pretending to be an oliver stone this is what happened right it's it, it, it's instead saying right away yeah of course don't that, trust that, the narrator don't trust the narrator too much is what no, the film clearly cool, well, acknowledges and it's exactly. really fun well, and and actually, the fun part of it is is the characters are fighting that in the film yeah, itself, yeah. saying, "Hey, look at no, you got to tell a true story, you know." And it's like, okay, I know you can't tell it all, but just the way they did it, I thought the technique was amazing. Um, 
you know, uh, it's as far as like I say, as far as I'm I'm considered the best movie based oh, on absolutely. football that By I've far. seen. By you know, far, uh, really, Just really good. Professional all down the line. I mean, if, especially for a, a a movie that is on a budget, it's not. Yep. You know, this is not uh, Gladiator we're talking about here. You know, it's yeah. not uh, you know some sprawling epic. It's a very small uh, human story about a person's journey through life and meets another person and their journey together, right? And again, spoiler alert. Sorry the shot you know like that's not necessarily what he's talking about is not necessarily just pinball it's no, really it about the right. philosophy of life it's yep. really about a philosophy of life that roger uh, subscribes to and i personally subscribe to and it and plays out as a metaphor in pinball for sure but you know if you don't have uh, a direction in life if you don't have goals in life if you don't have something that you want to achieve then you're just going to be floating through life aimlessly and i think that uh, the movie shows you very specifically that you got to have you know, objectives. You got to have mm-hmm. wants and needs and goals to achieve in life, uh, or else you know, no, nothing's going to happen for you. If you commit to that, you know, it may not go the right way. It may not go 100%. You know, like when Roger gets his book published, yeah, he achieves mm-hmm. that, but maybe not the way he all 100% the way he wanted with all the interviews and, and people that he talked to along the way, uh, all the, the people that he interviewed, uh, the heads of all the yep. pinball companies. You know, this publisher just wanted to basically a nice coffee table with pretty pictures in it, right? Mm-hmm. And and that was disappointing to Roger. So, But he got he got that book made, though. You know, he went out and he did it and he spent his own money trying to do interviews and stuff. He's something he believed in and he achieved it, you know? And uh, that, I think that's an important thing. And there's several times where the show's you know, that that's something that will, it'll pay off, you know, maybe not exactly the way you want it, but that's just the way life goes, you know, but you got to have something to shoot for, you know, you've got to take that it. shot. Yeah. You got to be in it to win it, right? Like you can't win if you're not involved and, exactly. and, you know, wins can be at different levels. And that, that is, I think definitely from the moralistic point of the story is that this is sort of, you know, uh, is, is what's going on. But uh, very, very cool. So when did you start? Like, when did you start playing? Because, uh, I mean, I'm not going to give out age and stuff, but I know I know when oh. you're born. So, no, no, I don't mean it that way. I just mean I, I try not to make everything yeah, yeah. Thing about. So so well, how did you start playing, man? Yeah, so, I mean, I played pinball in the arcades here and there as a kid in the 90s. And I was definitely, yeah, I was aware of it. And I enjoyed it. I, you know, like everybody else, I played on my computer during in high school during a uh, uh, certain times of uh, break period, I was playing the the um, what's that called the um, the Windows ninety five uh, space pinball space pinballs yeah, yeah whatever yeah. it's called Galactic that's a pinball. lot of people's first one yeah, yeah. I mean uh, but that was but I but I knew one hundred percent that that was not real pinball like you know right. like I knew that this is like just kind of like a you know a, whatever it's a fun little toy version of it. but I did learn one thing from that is that I did learn that pinball actually had rules and that if like I got you know, the rollovers, all the same color changed to a different color, I would score more points, you know, or a mm-hmm. kind of a multi-ball rule. Like if I, sh- if I shot the ball in there, I would get multiple balls coming out if I did it like three times. So I did learn from that, from playing that game a lot excessively uh, about that games. And it's not just about keeping the ball alive and flipping away aimlessly, you know. Right. And then I applied that also to, you know, really playing real pinball. And I played games like the classic Williams Ballet, Ballet era games in the 90s, you know, um, Scared Stiff and Medieval Madness and Whitewater. And in particular, my personal favorite game of all time, that is my Grail game. I don't own one. One day, hopefully, if I hit the lottery, 
I'll probably buy one or two, uh, is Indiana Jones Pinball Adventure from, I think it was 94 or something like that. Um, that game is just unbelievable. I love that game. All the call-outs and everything, that wide-body super pin uh, game from the 90s is, is yeah. my favorite pinball machine of all time. And so I remember playing these games you know, in their time when they came out. And then eventually, as we all know, uh, you know, the internet happened consoles just got too good about you know how recreating video games uh like street fighter and mortal kombat for the home version and mm-hmm. um, arcades disappeared a location pinball disappeared so you know it wasn't something i was actively playing all the time it was something i'd be kind of like ah, i'll take a break i'll play some pinball you know in between i wasn't like super addicted or hooked on it at that point but something happened in uh, a place opened up in toronto around 2008 it was called the pinball cafe it was in the west end Queen yep. West in Toronto. I don't know if you remember going there. I know oh, you were. No, I did a couple town. times. Yeah. Total, okay. So you know the place. Then. Yep. Yeah. So you know the place. And uh, I walked in and I was like, oh, I was expecting to see like vintage games from the 90s. And I'm like, who's this company Stern? I've never heard of this company. What are they like some knockoff off brand? <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea what happened, you know, like between right. 1998 and, you know, 2008. Like for like. That whole decade, I was, like, not aware of pinball at all. And I'm like, oh, but they, wow, okay, so this must have come out pretty soon, pretty recently, because this is Iron Man. Iron Man just, like, Iron Man 2 just came out. So I'm like, oh, so this must have been made pretty recently then. Uh, And, you know, they had other, they had, like, High Speed and uh, a couple other uh, solid state games that I can't remember, possibly, like, um, an Embryon or something like that. There was a Comet in there at one point, too, I remember Comet, because I hadn't seen Comet Comet for a long time. Yeah, I I remember remember that. I remember playing Comet at the CNE, the Canadian National Exhibition. That game was just perfect. An environment like the like a like you know like a like a fair or like yep. you know uh, or like a, the CNE. It was like that's like the perfect game to play in the 80s an arcade game or a pinball machine like that. It brings me very nostalgic memories about Comet. Just a perfect perfect game for that setting anyhow but um yeah the pinball cafe uh had a short life unfortunately it only was around for about two years they had some issues with the city with zoning and you know having pinball games on location and all this stuff because they were on coin drop i believe at the time yeah they they were and that was uh you know i'm sure that caused them some troubles they had other problems with getting their liquor license when they tried to apply for it or something like this is what i hear yep. and you know and then, unfortunately, they had to qu- quickly, rapidly just sell all the games, close the business down, and disappeared. And I was heartbroken, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, But that got me thinking, like, okay, so how much is an actual pinball machine? I know people <laughs> at this point, you know, people were buying arcade games for a long time. People were buying, like, stand-up, you know, uh, you know, any kind of, you know, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong cabinets for pretty cheap at the time. Sure. The retro yep. arcade market was starting to kind of warm up for home buyers. I was like, there must be pinball machines on, like, eBay or whatever uh the craigslist or whatever that i can probably look into buying my own like i don't have a ton of money but i've got a little bit of money to spend so i look it up and i and i see there's a play field for the, the game sorcerer from 1985 i think it yep. is it's a williams game and mm-hmm. a play field uh, beautiful i'm like well maybe i'll just buy some like if i can't afford a pinball i'll just buy some pinball art i go to buy it and, oh sold out oh it's already sold okay this is like eight hundred dollars I'm like, okay, whatever. I come back. I'm still looking for it. And then uh, two weeks later, the whole game shows up for $800. The whole pinball machine is on sale for $800 here in Toronto. I'm like, uh, okay. And I'm like, well, you know, I could get, I could buy a PlayStation, the latest PlayStation, the latest Xbox for 800 bucks, roughly. Or yeah. 
I can buy a pinball machine. I think a pinball machine is way cooler than that. Mm-hmm. So I pull the trigger. I meet this guy. I pick up the sorcerer. You know, my first pinball haul. It was mm-hmm. about it was about ten years ago, and uh, it was just yeah, love at first sight. I love the game. You know, it had all. It wasn't a, wasn't a super complex game like the ones I'd played before in the '90s. I knew that, you know, but it had like a multi ball, two ball multi ball. Mm-hmm. It had a ramp, yep. spinners. It's got drop targets. Those are all the things I consider real pinball like mechanics. Yep. And I had a lot of fun with it, you know. And I, and I owned it for quite a while. I sold it to Dan uh, Beeson, who owns the co-owners of Tilt. Uh, oh, yes. And so a lot of other people got to play it too, which is really I sold it to him for ba- basically the same price I bought it. And now he's trying to flip that for tons of money now because the pinball market's completely insane. The market is uh, totally insane. He literally, like, <laughs> and I think he can do it. I think he's going to try oh, to flip it for you know two market. grand, three grand, or something. It, and I'm it, sure it, people it's are going market. Buy it. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, the thing is, I mean, you know, because because I'm I'm sort of the same. I mean, I got in in the 2000s and, you know, there's times where I feel guilty about asking market. But I'm like, well, the thing is, you, you know, Joe didn't create market. I didn't create market. Dan Beeson didn't create market. Market is just where the prices are. And if you don't get market, then that just means you're handing equity to somebody else. For sure. And you got to understand, like. What okay, when the pinball market was in the nineties was an operator market, okay? Yep. These people they took this revenue generating machine, they put it on location, it made its money and then a little bit of profit, and then guess what? It was a disposable item for them for the most yep. part, unless they rotate it to different locations. It made its money, you throw it in the garbage or get rid of it. Okay. And so basically in the two thousands where there was no locations early 2000s where there was no pinball locations what are you gonna do with this this thing taking up all this room in your storage unit it's costing you money to hold on to these things that is the problem yep so they are like just take it away just get it 200 dollars for a medieval madness take it 100 bucks for adam's family take it you know that's the thing now we're in a collector's predominantly a collector's market location Mm -hmm. pinball will still have its place but predominantly without question we're in a collector's market Mm -hmm. and collectors are not going to let these games go for much less than what they pay for it right so they're going to maintain their games they're going to keep them well maintained and they're going to want a substantial uh, either profit or uh, break even with these games and that's just the reality of where we are now and parts get caught more expensive as years go inflation continues parts gets more expensive it's just the natural process of how this industry is going right now so yes you could have gotten them an uh uh, a medieval ma- or an attack from Mars for like you know 500 bucks back in you know 2004. My buddy of mine picked up a a a, a, a about only three or four years ago. He picked up from this location and had it there for like since they bought it in the 90s. This mm-hmm. attack from Mars. He got it for I think 15 US, 1500 dollars wow. US, and that they didn't they didn't know. You know what I mean? There's still no, some deals you can they find. Yeah. They didn't know what they had. But yeah. you know, there's still some deals you can have. People just just get rid of it. I want another. I want to in this pizza parlor or whatever it was. Yep. Like, I want to put another table here so I can make money. This thing's yep. not making money, so get rid of it. You know. So oh, yeah, no, 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 it's there. The and the, industry, the change in the market, the, sh- the huge shift that's gone from from operator predominantly to collector predominantly, right? Agreed. So it's just the nature right now. It's not like we're getting ripped off or anything. It's just nope. the nature of what the value is, and and thankfully, thank God. People bought these games, maintained them, kept them alive, kept them running, or else we would have lost so much of our history, you know? 
Yep. So much. Even the even the people going back, God bless them, would go back and they repair wood rails and restore them. You know, like holy moly, man. Like that takes a lot of work. And you know, you're not doing it for making money on location when you're talking about a wood rail. You know, no. like it's a beautiful piece of art that you're restoring at that point. And uh, yeah. I really am very thankful to the whole community for people who are smart enough and artistic and creative enough to to make these games keep them alive because they were not meant to do that. They were meant no. to just make money. And then you toss them out like anything else, like a gumball machine or whatever. Oh, yeah, no, that, exactly. That is what CoinOp was about. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we, we've spoken about that before. I mean, especially like in the Brazilian area where down in Brazil, they were six-month machines. Like they were yeah. supposed to be basically burned at six months yeah, because they, they were paid off in under a month. And for the next five months or so, they earned money, and then that was it. And so, what a tragic loss. Like what a tragic oh, loss oh, to the history for them of especially. the game. Yeah, well, and for them culturally, too, because for a lot of the players down there, because they didn't get U.S. uh, imports. Yeah, no, they couldn't couldn't because the government restricted any uh, technology, any any electronic technology technology was like no go. Even Genesis, like Sega Genesis, they had to build a uh, back in the 80s. They had to build, you know, in the 90s, they had to build an actual factory there to to produce Sega Genesis for the South American market. That's how they got pinball. Yeah, Yeah, that's how they got pinball. There was they built their own. But uh, but, but, you know, you know what review we're getting ready to do? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's not Bond 60. It's Gamatron. Oh, yeah. Gamatron's interesting. You know, uh, uh, yeah. Gary Stern, you know, tried to basically kind of, you know, reformat Flight 2000 and put it oh, on exactly a, what he did. A, 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 a narrow body. Yeah. Um, it works in some ways better, but I find that you can't sweep the targets through the spinner as well because you don't have that wider angle. It's more of an acute angle than an yep. oblique angle. So I find it harder to sweep, which is one of the most satisfying parts of Flight 2000 when you basically just rip that spinner and it you know, well, Stern's in general, right? Yeah, Stern, yeah. Stern Electronics. I mean, you know, Quicksilver. Um, there's so many of their games that that sweeping targets. I mean, that's so much fun. We we, we love playing those things here. Mm-hmm. Um, we might actually use that clip for when we do Gamatron. because yeah. we are actually going to do a Gamatron review because we targets and I've, spinners. They I've did never, it well. Well, I've never been I've never been able to play one. Randy Whiteford, that was his first game, but he's never had it working since mm. I've known. So, yeah, yeah. so Daryl, you know, Daryl, Daryl figured it out. Daryl had one that was dead and he, uh, he figured it out for a customer. So, uh, so we've been granted access to it to, cool. uh, to play it at some point, but, uh, cool. yeah, let's, let's go quickly over. So we talked about Pulp Fiction, but, yeah, uh, let, let's just basically, you know, there's Godfather, over. you know, yes. I mean, like, I think Eric Menier is a genius. Like he, I'm so excited for all the new designers, you know, and all the new people in pinball, you know, Jack Danger, Scott Denise, um, Eric Menier. I'm so I'm just always so excited when these people are, are making new games because it's just new blood, new ideas. And, you know, I mean, not that I mean, Steve Ritchie and, and you know, Pat Lawler, it's great. They're there's, you know, steadfast been like pioneers of, and their time was, you know, great. But I think that's just it's really a special thing for the new technology. They understand the new ways that people are playing the new market again with a home yep. buyer. Uh, especially for JJP, they're clearly making their games for the home market very directly. So mm-hmm. it's like what happened in the video game industry. Like you can't just have, 
you know, a quick little burst of excitement. You have to have something that's more prolonged. You can't just have Donkey Kong. You have to have like a Zelda, something that's a long adventure, a long narrative, like in these new games for JGP, especially like uh, this epic Godfather game. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to have something that really can, you know, it's not necessarily just easy, but it's challenging, but also keeps you engaged for a longer period of time. You know, and there's always something next to do. There's always something more to get. There's always something better to do. You know, there's always a new achievement or goal or a way that you can put it together and i think that the jjp really has that locked down um and i'm just yeah from all the games that are coming out are all really again like i said all have some specific really great markets like the scooby-doo game that spooky put out yeah you know they have another market then it's that's not necessarily the the pinball player i think it's more of just a scooby-doo collector and that's great and it's for a, a very family-friendly environment, as opposed to maybe the Godfather, where you have people getting shot and machine guns not, going off. And so you're saying that's spook- not quite as family-friendly. No, it's gonna <laughs> spook the baby, you know, and the dogs and the yeah, all the animals now oh. are gonna freak out. But well, no, a you horse got some had a horse head on the. Uh, yeah, on that's the <laughs> I thought what for me, if I was designing the Godfather game, what I would have done is I would have done you know the mechanic. You know the mech on Big Lebowski with the rug? And you hit the rug and it rolls back? So what I thought what they could have done is they could have taken that mech, and when you roll the the bed sheets back eventually you get to the horse's head and then that starts multi-ball so I, I i don't know i just thought that would have been a cool but the way they implemented it was a little more classy yeah it's like a shooter knob you know it's got a good i'm it's like not like some bad terrible horrible pointy shooter knob it's got no. some ergonomics to it that you can pull it back almost like a little trigger so that's yep. smart that's smart to put it there and then you've got uh, the contemporary, you know, for me, like, you know, my, my generation uh, that grew up yep. in the 90s with the Foo Fighters, boom, you've got Jack Danger's Foo Fighters game. Wow, holy moly, Which I can't wait amazing. to play that. The yeah. music's incredible. The music looks incredible. The concept is fantastic. It really shows the difference between when you have a, 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 a licensor that buys into the concept of pinball and trusts the people who are making the pinball machine. And again, and then Foo Fighters, you see a total opposite in the presentation. You know, uh, the only thing I wish about Foo Fighters is a small, tiny grab is I wish that uh, uh, Dave Grohl had some call-outs in the game. That would have been cool. But other than that, I think it's an incredible incredible integration uh and giving it a good narrative that you know you're you're fighting this alien overlord who wants to take over rock and roll and you gotta <laughs> save rock and roll or he wants to take over rock and roll turn into like you know uh, uh electronic music or whatever and yeah. you know like i haven't played the game so i don't whole thing completely and, but there's just so much fun like you know you're progressing you've got a map you're progressing from different parts of uh, all across america it's like a road trip yep it's great you know i understand it it's like attack from mars i get the concept right well joe uh, i want to say thanks it's uh it's been one great uh you know getting back together again and and just chatting pinball and and uh love all that you're doing like absolutely with the community and how you're helping build it and also just all the insights you provide Thank you so much, Dan. It's been a really great uh, experience uh, chatting with you and uh, catching up and just uh, talking pinball. You know, it's great. It's one of the, you know, almost as fun as playing pinball is just talking about pinball. So, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Couldn't agree more, my friend. Cheers. Well, thanks, Joe. That was was really cool and and, uh, much appreciate all the insight. Um, Daryl, you you caught the movie as well, didn't you? I did, Dan. I still have a bit of a tear in my eye and... (laughs) Yeah, uh, me and the and the missus uh, sat down and watched it, and it was really, really good, actually. Uh, 
it's kind of rare these days to see a movie without fantastic special effects and it was just a good story and not just for pinball people which was really good it, it really transcended that and you know i was looking at my wife's reaction kind of the corner of my eye thinking oh she liked this and she, after words she said yeah she really really liked it exactly how mary was with me it, um it it i was always sort of well do you want to watch this i watched the first half an hour without her and then i came back and i rewatched the whole thing with her because i said no i think you'll actually enjoy this um, but yeah just as as i was uh, saying with joe and stuff the way the characters developed and the little insights and also how well they created a period piece right like you know the whole era of 70s and 80s and you know bad fashion or or unique fashion oh it's um, just so challenging you know, the cars were were correct yep. uh, you know, for uh, I'm not sure it didn't have a huge budget, but the actors were professionals. I mean, some yep. of them I recognize one from Better Call Saul, actually. Yep. Uh, who did the, the man who played uh, Roger? Name, uh, but it, Roger Sharp. I don't have yep. the actor's name off the top of my uh, my head. Yeah, very very enjoyable, and yeah, it, good humor too, and a bit uh, I guess uh, you know kind of. Uh, they laughed at themselves, right? Which which is good. Yeah, the whole technique there, where where you know the guy is playing, you know, current day Roger, and and yes, he's basically saying, yeah, okay, yeah, I know you need to do this, but that, and that. I, I just yeah, smiles, just smiles on my face watching this thing, and and I hope it takes off, and and to everybody out there, definitely go out of your way to try to watch this. This is this yeah. is something you will not be disappointed with. Yep, the man who saved pinball. Yep. And I think he did, actually. <laughs> he did. That's true. Well, Dan, I think that's a wrap for episode 26. I'd like to thank uh, Nick and Trent, as well as Joe, for their for great interviews and wish Nick and Trent all the best in their future. And as always, we'd like to thank our house band, Big Ian and the Vertical Upkickers, with their hit, Passion Pinball. Tech suggestions and feedback? podcast at gmail.com See you tomorrow, Daryl and Dan.